0: The fifth graders, you can also go to children's choir if you're a part of that. You can find all that through the door where all the little people are going. But the rest of you, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. If you're using a pew Bible and are unfamiliar with the location of Luke, it can be found on page 1015 in one of those pew Bibles. Page ten fifteen we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. And today we come to the story that follows the Christmas story. So this would be the the days immediately following Jesus' birth as we continue to study through Luke. Today we're going to study Luke verses 21 to 40. Let me just read that as we begin. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time for their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. God, we pray now that as we study the Bible, as we study this passage, that your grace would be upon us as well, just as it was upon Jesus. Lord, we pray that just as the Holy Spirit was upon Uh, That the Holy Spirit would come to us now and help us to understand the Bible. Lord, we confess that our minds are just so filled up with the things of the world, with our schedules, our financial needs, our relational uh, issues, our jobs, uh, children. Lord, our, our minds are so filled up with everything around us and so empty of thoughts of you. And yet, you're the point of life. And somehow, God, our priorities are so out of whack. And so I just pray this morning that you would continue to bring us back to you in our hearts and our minds and our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the Bible, which is your word. It's not just another book. It's not just a religious book. It's the word of God. And I pray that that as we read it this morning, that that truth that this is your word would just become so evident in our experience that it wouldn't take a preacher to say it but that we would look at it like Bob Sabian was saying earlier we would just read this book and we would be amazed because we know Lord that when we read the Bible the Bible is reading us and that that your word is alive and it searches our hearts so search our hearts this morning speak to each one of us here Lord I pray that you might remove me from the picture And that uh, anything I say that is uh, uh, not in harmony with your word would be forgotten and rejected, and that only your word, spoken through your Holy Spirit, would abide in people's hearts. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So there was this uh, radio talk show, call in show, a few years ago, and um, the topic for discussion at the time, because the the movie, uh, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, was out, and it was kind of, hey, what'd you think? And so everyone was calling in. And there was this one lady who called in uh, to give her two cents. And it was interesting. She was commenting on the story of the Last Supper, uh, the scene of the Last Supper. If you've seen the movie, there's kind of a flashback in the movie of the Last Supper. And in the Last Supper, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And, and the, the character who plays Jesus quotes this line. And the line actually comes out of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. And maybe you're familiar with this verse. It goes like this. Jesus says at the Last Supper, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this lady was commenting. She's like, I didn't like that part. And and her, her line was interesting. This is what I found fascinating. She said, I know Jesus would never have said that which was you know, kind of interesting I mean, because you know, it either shows that she didn't know that that was actually a verse from the Bible maybe she didn't even realize that but I think what's also fascinating about that comment that's telling is it, I think it betrays a certain uh, perspective about who Jesus is that I think would have a lot of traction in our culture today I think a lot of people would kind of resonate with that I mean if you ask the average person on the street what did Jesus primarily teach uh, you know, what would they say and I don't know, I haven't done a survey, but if I was from Las Vegas, I would wager to say that, that people uh, you know, would say, well, he taught love, or something like that. Kindness, acceptance, uh, tolerance. You know, tolerance is kind of a buzzword in our culture. Uh, people pay a lot of lip service to tolerance today. Uh, it's interesting the, the meaning of tolerance has changed. So when people talk about tolerance today. It's not what you'll find in Webster. It, so the, the definition has shifted. What tolerance it means today is... Accepting all viewpoints as equally valid and good and true, which is not what the word means, but somehow it's sort of come to morph to mean that. And I think there's this this picture of Jesus as 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 Mr. Tolerance, you know, the the poster boy for accepting and including. I, I remember I was just I think it was about two weeks ago. I was I was walking down the street. I was going for my my little walk I do when I pray, and and I bumped into some people from our church, and they were talking to a friend and. So I got introduced to the friend, oh, this is so-and-so, and, you know, i was like, oh, nice to meet you. And, and this is our pastor, and he said, oh, and so he started talking about his church. And, and, and he said, you know, and I'm not going to say what church it was, but, but he said, you know, in, in our church, we're embracing of all religions and all traditions and faiths. You know, kind of a sort of smugness about it. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, and then we talked and we left. And then, like, you know, half a block later, I thought of what I should have said. <laughs> I'm the world's worst evangelist because I never think of what I should say. You know, I, I, and as I'm walking away, I'm like, ah, well, maybe I shouldn't have said this, but I thought of it anyway. <laughs> I um, the, the thought it, I should have said, oh, you're embracing of all religions. Now, does that include Wahhabist Islam, like Al Qaeda? Do you do you embrace that religion? Or, or what about white supremacist interpretations of the Bible? Do you embrace that? Or, or, or what about Satanism? You know, that's a religion. <laughs> do you embrace that? You know, so. As you can tell, I'm not entirely sanctified yet. <laughs> I have these kind of warm, fuzzy thoughts. So, but, you know, I, I think that, that kind of viewpoint of Jesus as sort of the cosmic love hippie, uh, you know, Jesus as you know, kind of the cosmic group hugger. Like, you know, just all together. And, and, and the idea of Jesus who might put a challenge in our face or, or might... Call us to a point of decision, or a Jesus whose very presence might, might in some ways divide humanity. It's kind of like, no, it doesn't really fit with uh, the, the philosophy of the day. But you know, Jesus is not only Savior, He's also Lord. Lord. He's Savior, but He's also the Sovereign. Jesus is love, but He's also the Lord of all. And so we can't divorce his kindness from his kingness. Jesus not only comes to save my soul, but but like a king, I have to kneel before him and and swear fealty to him or revolt against him. But there's not a a middle ground. When someone comes in and says, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, follow me, there's not a lot of in-between room. It it really uh, precipitates a kind of existential crisis in the human heart. Who am I and and what am I going to do with this person, Jesus? It it, uh, brings a fork in the road of humanity. And so the last couple Sundays, we've been looking at the salvation side of Jesus, that he's Savior, that he comes to save the humble and the lowly. But this Sunday, we kind of see that other side of the picture. And you have to hold the two together, that he's a loving Savior, but he's also the King of Kings. And today is kind of that other side of the picture that you have to couple with last week. So... Let's look at the text and jump right in. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. We have the story of Jesus' being presented at the temple in Jerusalem. It says on the eighth day, verse 21, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written, the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So here we have a, a picture of Joseph and Mary as faithful, obedient, law keeping Jews. They're doing the law of God. They circumcise him according to the law of God, they name him Jesus, just like God told them to do. They offer their firstborn up to the Lord, which was in the law of Moses. And they uh, go through the ceremonial purification rituals that are talked about in the Old Testament. So the picture you have here is of these faithful Jews keeping God's law. And then into the picture comes this new character, who's also a very faithful, obedient uh, follower of God. Verse 25. His name is Simeon. We haven't heard about him yet. He's a new character in the story. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, like Joseph and Mary. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I find this a fascinating figure. To think of being told that you will not die until you've seen the Lord's Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Like, think about, you know, I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes. Think about how that would completely retool your life. And, and change how you looked at everything and, and the importance of things in life. You know, imagine if an angel appeared to you and said, in your lifetime, you're going to see the second coming of Jesus. You know, it would be like, whew. It would, it would change everything. It would change how you spent your money, how you spent your time, how you affected your relationships. I mean, you would just be like kamikaze Christian. You'd say, I wouldn't, I don't care. I don't care about anything anymore. I'm just going to live full on for Jesus because, hey, I've been told that, that he's coming back, um, you know, which maybe is how we should be living anyway. But, but you know, it, it's interesting. And so I'm just thinking of this guy, how his life has been shaped by this revelation. And so he's waiting and waiting. We don't know how old he is. We get a sense from verse, as we'll see in a minute, from verse 29 that he's, he's old. He's been waiting for some time. And I think, in a sense, he, he represents faithful Israel, faithful, expecting Israel, waiting for the Messiah. And then in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel. So God's salvation has finally come. Simeon has seen it. He's praising God. God, I can now die a happy man. You've fulfilled your promise. And you know, so far, so good. I, I doubt that the radio lady or the guy from, you know, First Church of Tolerance or whatever would, would have a problem with anything that's been said so far. Maybe. I mean, most likely they'd be, they'd be okay with it. I mean, okay, there's Jesus, he's a light. Uh, and that's kind of broad enough religious language that most people you know, could be okay with that. He, he's for both the Gentiles and for Israel, so there's an, an, a bringing together of peoples. So, you know, I think so far so good. Most people would say, yeah, this is great. Um, but then in verse, especially in verse 34, that's where the twist comes. That's where the road to heaven takes this sharp bend, and we have to be ready for it. And, and so look, look at the rest of Simeon's words in Verse 34. It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, this is a little different picture of Jesus, isn't it? Or at least different from our expectations. But, but it's the idea now of, of a Jesus who really confronts us with his sovereignty and lordship. Not just the Savior, but also the sovereign. Not just the the, the, the love of God, but also the Lord. Not just kind, but also the King. And, and so he, he sort of forces us to a fork in the road. What do we do with this guy who kind of gets in our face? And, and as you can see, Christ in, in this prophecy here is also not only going to be a saving, loving figure, but also a, a conflicted figure. He's going to be a controversial person. Now, notice there's three things that Simeon says about him. Let me just look at those in turn. The first is uh, this. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Jesus will uh, introduce a huge sort of tectonic shift in the, the, the way society is structured. And some who thought they were high and mighty and, you know, fine and religious and powerful... Some of those people are going to come crashing down. And some who are lowly and broken and sinful and marginalized are going to be raised up. There's going to be this huge reversal in how God values, or how we value people. That God is going to sort of flip society's value system on its head. It kind of reminds you of Mary's song. You guys, If you were here, remember when we studied Mary's song? That was what it was all about. In fact, uh, just keep your finger here in chapter 2 and flip back to Luke chapter 1. And look at Mary's song, the Magnificat. It's on, uh, it's verse 51 is where I want you to look of chapter 1. Here's Mary's famous song. Verse 51, she said, He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So this is a the theme we're going to see all the way through Luke is that, that Jesus comes to bring his salvation very often to the people who are on the fringes of society, to the, the outcasts, the, the lepers, the blind, the, the sinners. That's where you find Jesus. And the people who are the power brokers at the center of society, like the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, they're the ones who often get in Jesus' crosshairs and, and are rebuked and castigated. So there's going to be this great reversal that takes place. What I find interesting is that, going back to chapter 2, verse 34, is that this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. That's fascinating, because you would think that it might be the other way around. That it might be like, well, he's going to throw down the Gentiles and he's going to raise up Israel. But what's interesting here is this fault line even goes in... To the the people of God, Israel, that this dividing line from Jesus will, will even divide Israel. So, so it's not like yeah, Israel is going to be saved and all the Gentiles are going to be smushed, but but it's Jews and Israelites are going to be saved, and the decisive factor will be what they do with Jesus. See, God's people today are no longer defined ethnically or geopolitically. Who are the people of God today? Is it this country? Is it that country? No, no, no. The people of God are defined as anyone who embraces Jesus the Messiah. In fact, that's who Israel is. Israel is the church today in the sense of the people of God. That it's the people of the Messiah. And so that's both Jew and Gentile. It's anyone who believes. The point is, Jesus is now the issue. No longer race or ethnicity or where you live, or anything, like how you've been raised. It's now Jesus. What do I do with Jesus? Jesus comes into my life, and, and now I have to decide, how do I respond to the King of kings and Lord of lords? That his salvation comes with his sovereignty, and, and so it's, uh, it precipitates a crisis in the human heart. causes the rising and falling. So that's one image. And then if you look at the second image, first is the rising and falling. Then Simeon goes on to say that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So Jesus is a sign spoken against. People are going to speak against him. Will some follow him? Yes. But he'll also cause controversy. And so as we study the book of Luke, this is the first time in Luke that we've been introduced to this idea that maybe not everybody's going to like this guy. And that, in fact, some will question him. Some will test him. Some will reject him, some will slander him, and some will even plot to kill him. And on Friday before of the crucifixion, many will scream, crucify him, crucify him. So, so not everybody is going to embrace God's Messiah. And in fact, the way they respond to Jesus, in a sense, reveals their hearts. You know, anyone can talk a good game. Anyone can act religious. Anyone can go to church and dress nicely, and anyone can give money to the Red Cross to send down to Hurricane Relief, and that's a good thing. But anyone can do that, and, and, and we can all put on different things to sort of convince ourselves and others that we're okay people. But when Jesus comes into the picture, he's now saying, you know, follow me, and that's different, because now that, that's kind of in my face, and I have to decide, ooh, you know, what do I want to do with that? That's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. Christ is not saying be a nice person or go to church. He's saying follow me, which is a much stronger statement. I am the Lord, and whew, you know, that's Jesus. I mean, hey, I've I got a busy schedule, and, you know, uh, I have some things going on in my life. and I don't know if I have time for you to be my Lord right now. Like, no, 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 no. Just, you know, it's right now. Will you follow Christ or not? And so that's unsettling to us. And I think what it does is Jesus, as a person, he, he brings out what's really in our hearts. We can talk all we want about being religious, but when it comes down to it, the name of Jesus unsettles people. I, I saw it one night. I was watching TV. I was flipping through the channels, and I, I think it was Fox News. I was just kind of flipping through the channels, and I saw it. And the reason I stopped was because I think, I don't know if it was Bill O'Reilly or someone else, was interviewing um, Uh, Dr. Michael Youssef. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Michael Youssef. He's an international preacher and he preaches all over the world. He was born in the Middle East and he's uh, the pastor of uh, Church of the Apostles down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So, you know, just a wonderful sort of global ministry he has. But anyway, they were talking about things in the Middle East and they were kind of interviewing his take on certain political things that were going on in the Middle East and and him having grown up there, and as a Christian, he was kind of an interesting person. And then as, you know, he's sort of in in the discussion, and as is usual in these uh, TV discussions, they usually try to pin the guy down. And so the the good talk show host will really try to put the screws to the guy, you know, try to make him say something controversial. And, you know, you could just see him trying to pin Yusuf down, and finally Yusuf just kind of backed out. And it's interesting. He said, "Hey, hey, look, look. He says, I'm not a political commentator. He said, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to tell you that salvation is found in Christ and that you need to turn to Him. And, and you know, you can almost just feel everyone in the studio going, Woo! You know, oh, <laughs> change topic. You know, other discussion. Move focus. And, and, and you know, you, you, can talk all, you can talk about God and religion and church and opinions on things, but it's something so weird. You bring up the name Jesus, and it's suddenly like... Mm-hmm, yeah. Weird, uncomfortable, awkward. Because there's power in the name. There's power in the person. Because he's the king. And we're not talking about ideas anymore. Now we're talking about him. And, and it changes things. And so he, he reveals our hearts. He, he cuts through. He, he breaks through the unreality of our lives. And, and so it's, it's jarring. And many speak against it. You know, when I was thinking of, of this verse, one of the things I, I thought of as sort of an analogy was it was an intervention. Are you familiar with interventions? It's a kind of an extreme therapeutic technique. Uh, it's often used for people who are um, struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. And, and if, you've, if you've been uh, an alcoholic or been an addict or you've been in a family raised with alcoholics and addicts, you know that, that a, a central part of addiction is uh, lies. That, that To be an addict, you have to live a lie. They lie to themselves. They lie to everyone. The family lies. You know, everyone sort of lies together to, to cover up what's going on. And, and so there's all this lying. And, and so to to overcome drug or alcohol addiction, part of it is you you'd have to come face to face with truth. You have to be honest about who you are and you know, as the old, it's almost like a cliche now, but, you know, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. You, you have to break through all the, the distortions. And so, so to live in that kind of addicted world, you, you have to kind of build up this bubble of unreality around you to pretend that everything is okay. So what an intervention is, is like an attempt to just puncture that bubble. And, you know, if you've ever heard of these interventions, what they'll do is they'll bring in, you know, the spouse, and they'll bring in the boss, and they'll bring in, you know, different people from the person's life And then they bring the person in the room and the person's like, what's this going on? And everyone's like, look, we all need to talk here. And, you know, the boss says, if you don't get help, you don't have a job. And the wife says, if you don't get help, you don't have a house. And, you know, everyone goes around the circle. So the idea is to, you know, it's it's kind of like the the nuclear option. It's the last resort. But, But it's a way of just kind of smashing through all the unreality. And I thought, you know, Christ coming into this world is kind of like this intervention from God. We are all addicts of sin. We are addicted to ourselves. We are addicted to our own righteousness and, and self, uh, self-righteousness. We are addicted to comfort. We are addicted to materialism. We are addicted to everything except God, which is, who's the main thing? And, everything, and we sort of shut Him out, and we've, we've created this sort of weird unreality, this bizarre sort of matrix where we live in, where we think everything is fine, and, and I really don't need God that much, And, you know, I I have a good job, and and I think I'm doing okay, and, and, you know, know, the Patriots are doing good, so I think life is good. And, you know, um, I have my sports, and I have my hobbies, and I have my job, and and I'm a good person, and I think it's okay. It's all okay. We're good. good. (laughs) You know, then Christ just comes into that bubble, and he pops the iPod out of your ear, and he turns off the TV, and he unplugs the computer. You know, and, and brings us out of our, our weird trance and gets right in our face and he says, follow me. And, and that's very disconcerting. It, it, it's very troubling. It creates disequilibrium in our lives. And he calls us to follow him, to not only be saved, but also to, to follow and to, to, to go with him. We, we not only need to do evangelism, people, we need to do discipleship. We need to tell people to follow Christ, but we also have to tell them to count the cost that it's not just some sort of easy believism. I think one of the problems in the American evangelical church today is we are trying to do everything in our power just to get people into church. And we're willing to sell out anything we have to sell out to get them there. Even if we have to water down the message, fine, what do people want? They want positivity? Okay, we'll just preach positivity. Or what do people want? They want, um, you know, they're dealing with stress? Okay, we're just going to do a sermon series about dealing with stress. Okay, okay, yeah, we'll talk about Jesus later. But, you know, you know, it's just, whatever people need. Oh, people want, you know, high church, we'll give them high church. They want low church, we'll give them low church. They want emerging church. They want modern church. They want mega church. Whatever people want, we just got to do it. Because we got to get people in the church. And it's like, no, 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 no. Our job isn't to grow churches numerically. Our job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And let God take care of the numbers. I mean, I mean who cares? It's about, and you know, I don't ever want to have more people in a church then are also growing in depth as well. And in in the process then, we've kind of uncoupled evangelism from discipleship and have lost both in the process. We've got to keep them together. That that we come to Christ freely by his grace, but that it costs us our lives. And it's a wonderful cost. And so, if we're going to be preachers of the gospel, if you're going to go into your workplace, you're going to go to school, or you're going to stand up in your college classroom and stand up for the name of Jesus, expect to be spoken against. Don't expect that this message is going to be warmly embraced everywhere because Christ wasn't warmly embraced everywhere. Some did. Some didn't. But we have to be bold and we have to be willing to identify with him. So Jesus causes the rising and falling of many. He's a sign spoken against that reveals hearts. And then the third and and the final image here, and we'll close with this one. He is... Simeon says, verse 35, a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? So he's saying to Mary, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your soul. Kind of a Fascinating line. We move then from the general to, to the specific of Mary's life. It makes you wonder, what is the sword? What's he talking about exactly? And to answer the question, we need to look at the, the scriptures. Lots of different interpretations have been given to this verse. What's the sword? When was Mary's soul pierced? Uh, A very ancient interpretation that goes way back to the Church Fathers was that it was doubt, that Mary would doubt, and that doubt would be the sword that pierced her soul. You know, the problem is it's tough to find that in Luke. I mean, Mary's portrayed very positively in Luke. Uh, So it's tough to sort of see that interpretation. Another interpretation that some people have used is that uh, Mary was, was going to be grieved by seeing her son suffer. Like any loving mother... If if you were to watch your son go through what Jesus was going to go through on the cross, that would pierce your heart. Uh, And and that's possible. You know, the problem with that, though, is that when you look later on in Luke, is that Mary is not emphasized as a character at the foot of the cross who's grieving. So, again, you've got to use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. The Bible has to interpret the Bible. And so that's a possible concept, but it's like it's not echoed in Scripture. What I think, what I really think it means, and I think it's borne out in Scripture here, is that is that Mary would face the same moment of crisis as everybody else. That she would also have to face the fact that her son was king of kings and lord of lords. And like everybody else, she'd have to say, this is not just my little boy, this is my savior and the sovereign, and I have to choose too whether or not I will follow him. Uh, For instance, look over at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. verse 19. I don't want to jump ahead too much because we'll probably get to this text eventually. We'll get to chapter 8 in a couple years. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. It says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, My mother... And brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, if you're his mom, I think that would pierce. Not as a rejection, but as, ooh, am I really his mother? <laughs> I know I'm his mother, but I'm not his mother. If, if, if I, you know, am I his brother? Am I his sister? Have I come to my, that place in my life where I... I, I Bow before Him as Lord and Master, not only as Savior but also as King. Um, and so that sword, that sword point comes into our lives. Have you ever felt that sword point? Maybe in a sermon, maybe when you're reading the Scripture, maybe listening to just like a a song on the radio that's a Christian song and it's got a good message to it. You just feel that that sword point of the Holy Spirit, just you know, not like a butcher, but like a a chief surgeon, skillfully. Putting the tip right on that thing in my life that I've not been wanting to address, but God is like, "Hey, follow me and that means that too. And oh, you know it hurts, but it also feels good. It's Thank you, God, for pointing that out. Whatever it is. Is the sword point, you know, what's it touching on this morning? Is, is, as God says, you must obey my word, you know, where is that sword point touching? Maybe it's like some major bitterness and unforgiveness that we have not dealt with and we've not forgiven someone in obedience to Christ. Perhaps it's, it's a relationship that we know is not pleasing to God. Maybe it's some consumeristic sort of, uh, you know, binge that we're on that we need to step back from. Um, maybe it's, you know, who knows what. I mean, there's so many things it could be. Attitudes, angers, uh, thoughts, things we say, things we do. Maybe it's alcohol and drugs. Uh, maybe that's where you're at this morning. You need to just face reality that you have a major problem. Whatever it is, don't fight that, that sword point. Let it let it pierce and touch that place in your heart so that we might confess those things and repent of them and, and allow the Lordship of Jesus to soak deeper and deeper into the soil of our souls and and go deeper and deeper and change us more and more into Christ's image. Or maybe you've never really come to Christ as your Savior. That's a sword point, too. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? I'm not asking, did you grow up in a church? That's not the same thing. I'm not asking, do you think you're a nice spiritual person? That's not the same thing. I'm saying, have you come to follow Jesus Christ? I remember the first time that sword point came into my heart. I was... um, I think I was like about 12, and uh, my, I was in this church. My mom dragged us to this church, and, and the preacher kept talking about Jesus and preaching from the Bible. And, you know, you know your typical 12 year old, I was just kind of, you know, there, but not really there. And then suddenly it started clicking with me. And, and I, I sensed that it was more than just the preacher, but I, it was as if God was speaking through the preacher. It was, as, you know, it was kind of one of those experiences where you're sitting in the pew, and it's like the whole room is dark, and it's just a spotlight on you. Uh, like, is this sermon just for me you know week after week after week it, and it was as if god had this huge battering ram against my heart you know follow me and i'm like trying to hold no no and you know it's interesting i'm 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 a young kid i'm not a drug addict or any alcoholic i haven't lived that long you know to experience those things but even as a young kid you're still a sinner And even as a young kid, you still don't want to give in to God. You don't want anyone telling you what to do. You know, we're born sinful. And if you don't believe me, uh, you're welcome to take my uh, three-year-old home for a day and, you know, uh, experience her. This this whole thing of of self-will, no one's going to tell me what to do, is the essence of sin. And even as a young boy, it's in our hearts. And I didn't want to give control of my life over to God. But he kept coming week after week. Boom. And finally, after about six months of it, you know, the the gate splintered and it was the best day of my life. (laughs) Best day of my life. Because I've come to follow Christ and man, following Him is so much better than following the world. And so I would just ask you, is is He knocking at the door? Is the sword piercing your heart? What have you done with Jesus? Have you come to know Him as your Savior? Because that's what it's all about. Because on the other side of that door that you're trying so hard to guard is the King and the Savior and your Creator. On the other side of that door, outside of your musty little castle of self, is this, this huge, beautiful world that God wants to lead you into. But you have to open the door to Christ. He, he has to take charge of your life. Have you let Christ into your life yet? Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you this morning, not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord and King. Lord Jesus, purify our hearts. Don't let there be anything in our souls that would be displeasing to you. I pray for those of us who have been Christians for, for decades, that you would continue to renew us and call us to deeper obedience. Lord, hunt out those very subtle sins in our lives, th- those things that might would never pass Uh, no no one would ever see, those things we could carry in and out of church no one would ever notice. Lord, would you just go into our hearts and do the deep work, get those those tumors hidden deep within our soul and pull them out and purify us more and more. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's never known Jesus. And, And Lord, I've been there. I just pray that, Jesus, you would show your beauty and your goodness to them. That they would see you, that they would love you and want to follow you. Not because of what some preacher said, or not because of some heart-wrenching illustration some preacher used. But Jesus, I just pray that you yourself would show your goodness and your salvation to each heart. And that people might respond to you, Christ, and love you. So Lord, save a people for yourself today. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who's never come to you. that just Maybe sometime today they would just get on their knees in the privacy of their own home. And just say, Christ, I am a sinner. Save me. I want to follow you. Lord, we love you. We give our lives to you. Lord, take our lives and let them be completely for your service. In Christ's name. Let's stand together, but I'm going to ask you to grab those red books in the seat back in front of you. That's called a hymnal. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, like me, no. But we're going to sing together hymn number 597 Take My Life and Let It Be. We want to lift this up to the Lord, singing hymn number.